Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that... This, this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture and yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching, yeah. you know, and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature. Yeah. It was originally just a access your own true nature course. Mm-hmm. But when you've mastered that, you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money. So if that's the way you want to go, that's why it ended up being life coach training. But it's actually Wayfinder, which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and, and steering your own course. So if people are interested... You can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to MarthaBeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, this is Marty. And I'm Ro. And here we are at another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I have been trying to figure it out by sitting on the floor in my closet in the dark. But then Marty came in with her phone's flashlight and figured it out by interpreting the hieroglyphics that I'd scratched onto the wall with my fingernails. Yeah, well, I can't say I figured it all out, though my history of locking people in closets gave me a lot of insight into the hieroglyphics (laughs) that come when you're blindly scrabbling at sheetrock in the dark. That's a very disturbing admission. (laughs) But you did depict an what seems to be an owl with a meerkat in its claws. Mm -hmm. That is actually... The schematic for a spacecraft steered by intelligent weasels that will carry us to the Pleiades. There, figured it out. Brilliant. It's always about the Pleiades in the end. Isn't that though? We've got a friend who has freckles or moles in the the shape shape of of the the Pleiades. Pleiades, (gasps) Is she a weasel? Well, she's an alien. Okay. Well, I don't know whether to steer clear of her or just climb aboard. Climb aboard. Things are looking dicey on this planet. Let's go to the Pleiades. Oh, let's do. Let's do. I've had enough. (sighs) Yeah. But anyway, what are we what are we trying to figure out in the meantime before we go to the Pleiades, my dear? Well, what I have been trying to figure out. Okay, so I'm 
I will say up front before I go into this that it's possible that I'm about to admit to a crime. <gasps> and I'm just trusting you and our listeners to keep it under the hat if I am. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those crimes where if you don't know if it's a crime or not, I think you can still get done for it. Ignorance so, of the law is no excuse. No excuse. Um, so there's a thing that happens in our house. and um, It's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you're going to say. So does everyone do this? I don't know if everyone does this, but like do you ever just like make an administrative phone call on someone else's behalf and kind of pretend to be them a little bit? A little bit. Just a little bit. Like with the best intentions in the world and no fraud being actually perpetrated. Yeah, like sometimes when you need to deal with an American system, like a doctor system that you haven't been in because it's different from Australia, mm. it's just easier for me to get on. They can't understand your language anyway. Exactly. That's and you thing. don't know this. So, yeah, sometimes I am I just pretend to be you. Yeah. <gasps> and it's quite common too for our beloved Karen to pretend to be Marty because um, – because I'm completely incapable of any action that would make me fit for polite society. Um, I'm glad that you said that. So I didn't have to. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, but then sometimes there's like Karen will be on the phone. There was this time recently Karen's on the phone pretending to be Marty. Um, oh, I'm really worried that I'm going to jail for this story. But anyway, oh, I'm scared too right I know, now. I don't know. I might be making a terrible mistake. Anyway, Karen was pretending to be Marty and then they, someone asked, what's your phone number? And Karen kind of panicked, ran across the room to Marty, <laughs> handed her the phone so that Marty could say her phone number. <laughs> but then, so Marty sort of grabs the phone looking a little bit like, what, what? And then Karen starts whispering Marty's phone number to Marty for Marty to recite, even though it's Karen who's been pretending to be Marty up until that point. So you're having trouble figuring this out. Imagine that you're just sitting, minding your business, <laughs> and someone you love dashes into the room with their phone, shoves their phone into your face, and starts frantically whispering your own phone number. So it what? <laughs> I have to say though, there's a certain way that Marty, if she's painting or something, can disappear that I think we just overcompensate. Is oh, that, definitely. Is that fair? And and so what I was trying to figure out is why a few days ago I did something really similar <laughs> where um, Marty's phone rang. I was closer to it than she was. So I grabbed it, answered it, put it on speaker. <laughs> Ran over to Marty, who in fairness had been watching the whole thing and was completely aware of what was happening. I put the phone in her face and then I whispered, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I whispered, hello, <laughs> hello. <laughs> I bet people think it's a ghost recording. Like I talked about ghost writing, well, maybe they think it's a ghost phone where they, they make a call and they know it's not me because it says, hello. In the manner of an Australian, but very quiet. And then I come on and they're like, dude, you're totally haunted by an Australian ghost. <laughs> Think of the adventure we're offering people. We were at some sort of uh, weird new age conference once um, in Arizona. And 
S- someone in the room, we were watching a psychic and someone in the room was haunted by an Australian ghost. Do you That's remember true. that? Yeah. She had the, the, the psychic had some chick come up on stage and she was being haunted by her father who was Australian. And here's the kicker. He did not, according to the medium, he did not believe in ghosts. Yeah, the ghost who didn't believe in ghosts. He didn't believe in himself. He There's needs a life coach. Well, death coach. Death coach. Oh, my God. After life coach. Oh, After bro. life coach. After life coach. Oh, that's just money. <laughs> <laughs> Think about all the change we're going to be getting from the dead. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to say that what I was trying to figure out wasn't that must have been weird for the person on the other end of the phone. It was just in my brain it was necessary to prompt Marty about what to do when she answered the phone. We should actually do an episode on ADD, living with it, living with someone who has it, because actually that sounds odd, but given the way my brain works, I found it really, you know, very understanding and helpful. (laughs) I wish every time my phone rings, someone would hand it to me and say something like, hello, or go away. I I do not wish to purchase real estate in Florida. And then I could say it and it would be like I'm in the real world. Whereas really I'm just thinking, all shadows are blue. All (laughs) shadows are blue, which is basically what I think for hours on end. One day she came out of a sort of fugue state and said to Karen and me, if I ever seem upset about a painting again, just remind me of this. And she started singing. All shadows are blue. I think I've told them about this already. I'm so obsessed with it. I don't think you have. But the, you, there was like a all shadows are blue, my dear, or something in the original. All shadows are blue, dear. Yeah. All shadows are blue. <laughs> all shadows are blue, dear. So that's our instructions. If she yeah. ever seems depressed about painting, it's because she's forgotten that all shadows are blue. And we do have to sing everything because we have a one-year-old who loves music. And that's every right. time we sw- sing something to her like, you're a sweaty little thing or something, <laughs> because we sing everything. She, and then we stop and she looks at us and she says the one word she really says clearly, again. And we have to sing it over and over. We have become a repository of the worst songs on earth. And All Shadows Are Blue is a, is a s- solid hit there. Sometimes I'm not sure because the way she pronounces it is again. And then every now and again, she just does little variations to see the effect. And I, I, I don't know. I have this feeling that sometimes what she's actually doing is, is accusing various people of being <laughs> gays. Again. <laughs> Gay? <laughs> Gay. And she says it in the morning, too. We see her in her little, on our little nanny cam. She sits up in her crib and she goes, again? And I think it's like her shock and awe that the dawn has come. Aww. Like, again? Because I think that when I get up, <laughs> I look at my feet, one of which like is looks like skeletal and weird, and the other one, which is still chubby and purple, my golem foot from foot surgery. I look at my body. I look at the... the bedroom I look at the day and I think again <laughs> so you're basically saying that that again is Lila speak for what fresh hell is this definitely yeah <laughs> oh we could we could teach this to our afterlife clients good point yeah. good point because that's got to be a shock no kidding right right oh anyway listen Marty <sighs> yes yeah, sorry what are you trying to figure out this is 
I wasn't going to talk about this because it's it's literally again, <laughs> and you've heard this before from me, but it is a really good example of what it's like to live the the fresh hell of living inside my skin. So I've been doing a lot of um, interviews mostly podcast interviews for my book. And most of them are on Zoom because the people like to see each other's faces. And so I get all, I have this special designated space with lights and the background, you know, looks tidy and everything. And I like sit down in my spot, turn on my lights, turn on my computer, bada bing, bada boom. We've got a podcast interview. Well, last week someone did that, called me for a Zoom interview or a Skype interview or something. And it was just dark on her end. And I was like all gussied up and ready. And she said, oh, this is just audio. And I was like, cool. So that means I can like scratch myself through the whole, whole interview. <laughs> um, and, and then I thought, wait, it could be even better than that. I like to be horizontal. I like to be on bed for most of my time. So here's the deal. I had earphones in and I very silently while talking to her managed to stand up from my chair unplug my computer get around the lights and the cords go over to my bed now i have to say since my foot surgery my my room my side of the bed looks weird because everything you need to survive is there along with my extra hand which is one of those sprungy things you use so there's like a huge one of those sprungy things you use is like you, you might use it to pick up litter you know what I mean? If you were on doing community service or yeah. something, it, it's like an extended go-go gadget arm. Yeah, it's this long bar that you can clamp like a hand and it's my extra hand. And I can just sit there and while my foot was really bad, I could reach anything I needed. And I arrayed everything I needed around the bed. So there's like a huge tub of peanut butter in case I get hungry in the night. Because you can't be going down to cook if you don't have a foot. So I just want to say something about the extra hand is that one day I was just like, oh, my, I feel like crap. I'm so tired. <laughs> and she just reached out her extra hand to me and, like, kind of stroked my shoulder with it. It was weird. <laughs> I can do anything with my extra hand. I love it so much. And then I have, like, all the books I need and all the pharmaceuticals I need. Oh, and Ro had been – she went – she got under the bed to look for something that I had dropped. And she was like, Marty, there are a lot of pills under here. <laughs> Because I had set up, I was going to be super healthy. So I put up calcium pills and all these, and painkillers that I had to take early on in the process. And when I was taking them, I was on my back. I couldn't reach around. And a lot of them fell under the bed. And I would just say, oh, reach in and take another one. So there was a large array of loose pills under the bed, which mm. she picked up and put on my bedside table right mm. next to, like, the huge thing of peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I, I creep over there so seamlessly during this audio yeah, interview. I'm yeah. on the interview. No one would have guessed because I am good at getting to the bed and lying down without anyone knowing. You're stealthy. Yeah. So I got, and then I got myself all secure with my extra pillows and everything. And now I've got my, my computer on my lap, which is how I do a lot of Skype calls, which means that like our, our relatives in England they get to see the top of my head at the very <laughs> bottom of the screen, just this little point of head. And if, or if I put it down, then they see me from extreme low angles so that I'm like all double chin and that's it. Hmm. So that's how I was. And I'm talking to this 
interviewer and she was one of those people who like oh my god I can't believe I'm meeting you I have been listening like my mother played your books to me while I was in utero and I've just like followed your career and I know everything about you and I'm like oh thank you thank you so much and I'm lying on the bed after this whole expedition across the mountain of things and she says you know I can still see you right <laughs> and I was like ah so Marty had taken this poor woman on a tour of the post-surgery, <laughs> the peanut butter, the loosely, the loose and pills, pills everywhere. <laughs> and usually, I am tidy to the point of minimalism, right? Before my surgery, I kept things. Mm. Eh, well, that, mm. that may be extreme, but certainly, it's not a vat of peanut butter, handfuls of loose <laughs> pills, and a, an extra arm that I use to like. Swat, either comfort my loved ones or, or punish miscreants. <laughs> Every time you mention the peanut butter, the container that it's in grows again. So it started out as just a large jar. By the time we finish this story, it's going to be a barrel. It's a trough. I, I, just, I don't even need the extra arm. I just heave up in bed and plunge my face into the peanut butter trough. Peanut butter. You know, that is, I think I've mentioned this too, either that or this whole thing is deja vu. But when people take sleeping pills and I'm and do things in their sleep that they forget later, the number one thing they do is eat peanut butter. She's I'm speechless. She's like, I have nothing to say about that. There's just no witty rejoinder. There's no, 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 you're thinking about all the times, your subconscious is thinking about all the times you've been rooting through the peanut butter and didn't even know it. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I've had a prescription or two for Ambien in my time. Oh! <gasps> We are getting more and more illegal all the time. I know. I know. This is so scandalous. Oh. All right. So all right. now I'm trying to figure out how honestly, how do I stop exposing myself as a complete <laughs> ludicrous train wreck to people who have respected me for decades? It's, I mean, <laughs> I, how can I stop exposing myself to people is what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just cut this off. And how do I stop exposing myself? Everyone's trying to figure that out, babe. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So as you know, in this podcast, we help people go from bewilderment to bewilderment to go from coming to consensus to coming to your senses and we come back to our wild true nature in the bewildered end that's right yeah. we do and last episode we talked about sleep and we were going to also go into today's topic but we thought no these are actually two episodes today we're going to talk about spoons not those spoons no no we talked about marty and her spoon bending a few episodes ago we've yeah. 
We're past that. These are different spoons altogether. Beyond. beyond they're afterlife spoons in a way. If you Speak think of them. It. Speak of what sh- which the spoons are. Spoons in like contemporary slang, mm. I guess, especially online, um, is used as a way of measuring physical energy, would you say, Maddie? Is that fair? Yes. And where does that come from, that term? So it comes from a blog post by a woman named Christine Miserandino who has lupus, which is a horrible autoimmune disease. If you look it up, you will be aghast that she's even having to cope with this. But it's also something that doesn't really show. It doesn't have any visible symptoms most of the time. So people don't realize that she's sick. And one day she was sitting with a friend in a restaurant and her friend was kind enough to ask, what is life like for you with lupus? And there were, they were sitting there at this restaurant table surrounded by empty tables and there was silverware, silverware set out on the tables. So Christine Miserandino went and got a bunch of spoons from the surrounding tables. And she said, imagine that each spoon is a unit of energy and you start the day with about 50 spoons. And every time you do something, it costs you a spoon. So you take a shower, it costs you a spoon. You make breakfast, there goes another spoon. Get to the office, drive to the office, there's a spoon. Whatever it is, it requires a spoon. And she says at the end, and she's pulling out spoons, and now she's still got a lot of spoons in her hand. And she says at the end of your workday, you still got spoons to go dancing or hang out with your friends or whatever. And then she put down all the spoons but four. And she said, I start every day with four spoons. Mm. If I take a shower, no talk to friends. Mm. You know, if I make breakfast, I give up on making dinner. Like, I've got four spoons to work with. And this went completely viral to the point where there's actually a Wikipedia entry called Spoon Theory about this, that we have a limited amount of energy each day and that different people have different amounts of spoons. And people who sort of identify with Christine to the point of, you know, that they've got especially invisible sort of conditions that limit their physical energy um, call themselves spoonies out there. Well, I'm a spoonie, really. I mean, I have like I fibromyalgia and stuff like that. So I, I very much identified with this. And I often ask people to describe situations in their lives when their spoons were high and then other situations where they had very few spoons. So Christine Miserandino's very perceptive blog post went crazy viral to the point where there's actually a Wikipedia page on spoon theory, which talks about how uh, people have different levels of spoons in their lives. And on any given day, your spoon level can fluctuate. Yeah. And I think we both really love this analogy, Marty, because both of us have had the experience of really wildly fluctuating access to spoons in our own bodies and our own lives, right? At different times. People often tell me you're such a high energy person. (laughs) We had, remember we had a Pilates instructor ask us that once and he said, oh, she's got a lot of will. Um, But on any given day, I may have the spoons to do a whole bunch of things or very, very little. So, yeah, this is a really handy analogy to talk about something that is invisible on the surface. Yeah, and and again, it does have a cultural overlay. Um, We were just, we were actually noting as we were talking about this in, in preparation for the podcast that the thing about spoons is that the fewer you have of them, the more likely you are 
to think about this, you know, and, and that's where the kind of cultural uh, level comes in because it's about privilege. Like so yeah. many of these things, the those people who have limitless spoons or a huge abundance of spoons on most days really can't easily imagine what it's like for people who don't and that's where you know accusations of lazy or you know any yeah so the culture says we all have the same number of spoons don't you dare suggest otherwise and you're right for people who'd never experienced a, a dearth of spoons it's incomprehensible what other people might be feeling that causes them to act so sluggish <clears throat> and it's funny because you told the story in jest earlier on about wanting to go and lie down on your bed while you were doing the interview saves a spoon yeah saves me a spoon <laughs> yeah and you can use it later you know for for something else where you need to sit up or stand up or whatever yeah and i'm not like i'm in no way one of the people who has the fewest spoons but i have few enough that i'm really conscious of take every single opportunity to nourish and sustain your spoon supply and I think you've often been in, in situations that, that are very deep in our culture of, of spooniness mm. where you felt pressure to pretend to have a larger number of spoons than you do have. You know what was so interesting is I've been, I've been around the fringes of like network TV when it was the big thing mm -hmm. and everybody seemed to just be exploding with spoons. People had so much energy and I just thought, oh man, I got to try to keep up with these folks. Right. And I, I would do something, but I, I couldn't do it full time. I would go home and lie there and just, <gasps> <laughs> but then I started to get to know these folks and some of them hired me as coaches and I realized that the spoon level in that industry was assumed to be supernaturally high and they could do it on adrenaline for short bursts but then it started to fail them and as their spoons dropped they would panic and they would hire a life coach even and a lot of them started using substances as this is similar to the, to the previous savage story so on our episode about sleep i mentioned jessica savage whose career went down in flames because she couldn't keep her spoons high enough and I came to think after meeting a lot of people in television that the assumption of the culture about people's spooniness is based maybe on a few extraordinary individuals whose spoons are like like a shower of, of gold that constantly rains from their bodies. and they <laughs> Golden shower. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, people tell it. Well, I, I, some people have told me, you know, I just get home from work and then I have to go dancing and then I have to go just jog all night to get my extra energy out and I'm like damn buddy could you spare a spoon please <laughs> <laughs> buddy, can you spare a spoon yeah I remember just talking to a friend of mine once who said yeah if uh, we were both on a tram heading home and and he said oh I've got to um got to go for a jog when I get home or else I just won't be able to settle for the night I'll have too much energy in my body and I had it was the first time that had ever occurred to me that that could be a thing I think, yeah, and these people set the pace of culture. And so the rest of us, like I watched this, everyone I worked with in the TV industry was secretly exhausted, mm. totally out of spoons. And, and they were often like they were, they were plummeting toward earth 
And they were terrified of what would happen when they ran out. Did they know that everyone else was no. pretending to? No, that was the thing. They were all like secret smokers to get more energy mm. and, you know, secretly like they were existing on Red Bull. And like it just it was fascinating because it was a secret thing. Because if, they, if people knew that you were desperate for spoons, you'd lose your place in the hierarchy. It's so interesting because it's like everyone's participating in this culture of being superhuman no one realizes that it's pure culture, that there's no nature really in there. And as you know, for most of my life, I have been culture's little bitch. <laughs> so I bought into it completely. And, and my spoons fluctuate from zero to very few. But I was pretending <laughs> that I was going to fit into this high spoon culture. So I, I abandoned myself. Talk about coming to consensus mm. and away from your senses. I joined the consensus of that industry, even though I knew everybody was faking it. Huh, that's fascinating. I faked it too. And I ended up, I mean, the, the nadir, the low point came when I stayed up one night and I had seven Red Bulls that night. Oh my God. And probably like an Excedrin as well in there somewhere. Oof. Got to the airport to get on my flight, to go to Texas, to give a speech to a massive corporation and I thought if I can just get to the plane, I'll be okay. And I, I just fell down. And I woke up, I don't know how much later, with a nurse waving ammonia under my nose. And I was like, <coughs> and she was like, wake up, you lazy. I don't know if she really said that, but I felt that. Mm. Because here's the thing. The doctors are trained. Wait, so you were in hospital when you, you were at the airport when you fell down and then you... I fell down. I remember like pressing Karen's number on my call button and crawling toward a pillar so I would be less conspicuous. And then it just, it's, it's gone. And I wake up and I'm in a wheelchair in a hospital wow. and a very angry seeming nurse is waving smelling salts under my nose, getting me to wake up. And I get the distinct feeling that she thinks I'm... A total wimp because she's probably been through training where she does 99 hour shifts and isn't allowed to complain right yeah but like what you're not appreciating is the scourge on, on this country of people who are so lazy that they lie down in airports you know <laughs> like think about it from her point of view these lazy people <laughs> and all their airport lying around <laughs> Calling ambulances. Just lying on their luggage. Yeah, it's a lifestyle that I had chosen. Um, yeah, but that was like, I literally abandoned myself to the point of, of fainting. And they say that's how far you can torture a human body until you reach fainting. Can I, tell, I can I just tell a side story about sleeping would, in airports that has nothing to do with this? I would love nothing more. Okay. So when I was 20... Three, I moved to Ireland and uh, for a year and I bought a ticket through an Indonesian airline. So, you, f you know, I fl flew from Australia th heading through Indonesia and then up to Europe. And I spent a year in Ireland very happily. And then I was ready to go back. And unfortunately, the airline that I'd bought my return ticket with had had gone under ah, in lazy the, in the meantime so lazy and so I was sort of trapped because I was not someone with a lot of spare money lying around let's just say and so I 
had to, I'm trying to remember, I remember I went to London to try and get the parent company to give me a ticket to get back. And somehow I got myself as far as Bali. Wait, you went to the parents of your airline and asked them for a ticket. <laughs> you, you did beat kiddos me money. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I went to some, I just have this memory of being in a very cold London street trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah, got myself to Bali. I had my guitar, my backpack, and I went into the little office in the airport in um, Denpasar in Bali and said, listen, here's a piece of paper from London. You guys have to fly me home to Australia now. (laughs) And they were like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, look, I'm homeless and broke and I really need you to help me out with this. I have a piece of paper here. I think you'll find. (laughs) And it's this tiny little office, like the size of a king-size bed. And that's relevant because when they just refused to do anything, I said, okay, figure it out. I'm going to sleep. And I lay down on the floor of their office, wrapped around my guitar because I was scared someone might steal it. And I fell into a dead sleep. And when I woke up, when someone woke me up, they had me a ticket on the next flight. You know what we're actually doing? What? We're, we're, we are describing a genius way of making it through a hard day. Just fall asleep. Going to a public place. Uh-huh. Become unconscious. Become unconscious. Have a piece of paper so they know that you, you're a citizen or whatever. And lie down and go to sleep. I remember doing something similar in a Chinese airport office when uh, we were all so exhausted from standing in line that this American in front of me started shouting in English, oh my God, oh my God, what kind of a place is this? (laughs) And the one working airline employee in the entire building who had been filing her nails for approximately 45 minutes looked up and said in Chinese, there is no God. And I laughed, so she knew I'd understood her, so I got a ticket. Oh, nice. Without feigning sleep. Well, sometimes I guess that can work. Although, was, you know, sometimes crying helps too. Or Crying, falling down, <laughs> Red Bull, yeah. So, yeah, we've both been there, guys. We've been, if not um, around the block, at least nearby. Yeah, and I should say that I have also like had had spoon issues, and it's weird for me because it's it's really I've had this <laughs> I've had chronic fatigue syndrome so badly that like I would cry when I knew I would have to climb a, a flight of stairs. It was just almost unbearable the thought of of having to get myself geared up for that. And luckily, that's not something I I have all the time, and haven't had it for quite a long time. Thank God. And um, well. And, and on I, those days, there are, you know, you can almost feel negative spoons. Yeah. It's like you said, you have to sit there. And I remember getting to that place where I'd lie there and I'd think, and I, I noticed a pattern over the years. The first day, you're below negative, you're below zero mm. on your spoons. It's like you're trying desperately to just tolerate being alive. Yeah. The second day, there's less agony. The third day, you feel almost level. And the fourth day, you remember what it's like to have hope. Right. I think. You you really understand what spoon theory is if you've ever had the experience of lying down flat and it not being lying down enough. Oh, like, yeah. how do I lie down harder? What if this was an incline of some sort? <laughs> like, what if 
I could go to a planet with stronger gravity or something. It's just like I'm not I'm not lying down hard enough. I, I so know that feeling. Oh my god! I remember somebody calling me to interview me once and say, "What what should I say when I introduce you in your bio?" And I said that I am I lie down, and they were like, "Yeah, but what do I? You have certificate? You know what makes you believable?" And I said, "I don't do anything. I just lie down. I couldn't even remember." A time when I hadn't been lying down and I didn't want to. It was too hard. Yeah. So, yeah, we've both been there. So one day we were having a discussion and you, you will hear me pepper all of these broadcasts and, and Ro will as well with things that we that come from my son, Adam, who's 33 and has Down syndrome. And he has certain phrases that he likes to say. And one of those is years ago when I was a different guy in Phoenix or in California. So this happened, picture if you will, <laughs> years ago in California, when we were a different guy, we were talking about spoons. We were. Yeah. And Ro had a breakthrough. Nah. I mean, seriously, a, uh, it was a, a breakthrough for me on par with the, the moment I read my first quantum physics reasonably clear book and realized Newtonian physics had been superseded or the time when I realized I read a book and I was like, oh my God, the brain is plastic. I like mind blown by this leap forward in the science of spoon theory. Um, so why don't you tell the people, Ro? I basically, I split the atom. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's too bold a claim to make. You split atom? Well, no wonder he was a different guy. Or, or, oh or, dear, or, dear, or, dear. Is there like an American way I should have said that word or is that, would that no, pun that was, have that come was, out of you regardless? That would have come out of me. No, it was, yeah, okay. it's, it's like vomit. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's what I realized about my own spoons. Some activities or ways of passing time cost me more spoons. They take more spoons from me than others, right? Stay with me. So when it comes to the realm of spoons, energy units are not absolute. Right? Right? So then I realized that spoons are also gettable. They're gettable in a day. And so they don't only go away. Sometimes they do. I, let's just, let's, let, me, let me stop in all my excitement for a moment and say this isn't for everyone all the time some people just have no spoons and it sucks and I am so sorry and then I think there are some of us who who struggle a bit with spoons and uh, one way or another and this might be more true for us but I am not saying that the spoonless are spoony I am not saying that but if you are very lucky and very canny which mm -hmm. is what we're about to get into you can get some spoons back guys and other people <laughs> yeah I mean some people it's just not in the cards but for I think for for most people and I've been using this with clients since Rose Breakthrough came and I find that I can actually get people to boost their spoon supply just in one conversation and I can definitely go from spoonless to spoonful at least one or two spoons by choosing different activities or people or ways of going about things. And, and here's the ticket. They look like they should take equal energy. Mm -hmm. I have a half hour conversation with person X. I have a half hour conversation with person Y. Person X takes every spoon I have 
after talking to person Y, I have more spoons. Mm. Or I can have tons of energy and just be da 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 da. And then I see what, like, I'll get an email that, that has a subject line that is completely indifferent, like, you know, just wanted to chat. But if it's from a certain person, or there seems to be an energy around that particular email that all my spoons are gone. Yeah. So my this is what I think. While culture says all emails are equal and all half-hour conversations or half-hour of work or whatever is equal, in nature, that is not true. In nature, the quality of what you're doing is more important to your energy level than the quantity. Like 30 minutes is not just 30 minutes. Mm. It's 30 minutes of either draining or gaining. So how about this for a thought? What if spoons are attracted to nature, to true nature, and like repelled by culture? What if we could actually use our own spoon levels in any given day as a as a um, barometer for like how close we are to being on the right track you know like you as you get spoonier it's like well something that that's I'm getting closer to my nature like a warmer colder you you often do that as a, right, right, a right. as a coaching tool the warmer colder game like you're getting warmer you're getting warmer and so the more like if you have a bit more energy bit more energy oh I've got more spoons oh this must be I must be on the right track right so spoon supplies become a measure of how closely you're adhering to your own true nature yeah and and that it's if this is true we spoon theory must be modified on a grand scale <laughs> I mean you heard it here first folks call the coast we have a big story <laughs> because this is it, the the basic spoon theory out there is going to limit people's spoons by convincing them that they have a limited number of spoons. Right. Like if you, there have been a lot of days when I get up and I'm like, I have no spoons. And then I think, well, I'm screwed for the day. I can't get any more. But now what I would do is I would say, clearly I'm not on my nature. Mm. Clearly I'm doing something that's pulling me away from the, the path that's optimal for my animal or for my spiritual self. So when I'm out of spoons, instead of just lying down, I should say, what can I think I'm doing today that would add spoons? Is there anything that adds a spoon or two? And I just want to sort of say in passing that even if you are an, a very, very spoonless person and you're listening to this and going, well... That must be nice. Yeah, it must right? be nice. Um, I just, I want to, you know, and you have like medical diagnoses that mean you don't have spoons or all these things play with this a little bit, because even if there's something that you could think about or listen to that might make you make lying down be enough <laughs> instead of not enough, you know, that like it's worth playing with just in case. Right. I remember during periods where you had CFS and it's so, it's so weird the way it hits Roe because she's just, she's pretty much, she's tired, but she's going mm. and then bam. I mean, there are theories about how the mitochondria aren't processing oxygen as well. So it, it's literally like something just suddenly suffocates her muscles mm. and she just goes down like yeah. a fallen tree. It's not like being tired. It's like being sick or a week or whatever, you know, it's. Yeah. And it's not negotiable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I got used to just like, finding ways to get you to a safe space when that hit and then mm. waiting for the spoons to come back. But then after we started talking this way about the spoons, we started exploring ways that you could 
feel better while lying down. And this is the thing, you guys, it's not just important that you get up and keep working for the, you know, for the great monolithic production machine that is our culture. Oh, God, what's yes. What's important is that you are enjoying your life, that you are engaged and joyful in the human experience. And that's really all you're meant for. Like you may leave a massive legacy on earth, but honestly, the value of being alive is in the joy of the present moment. And what we found is that if we talked about certain subjects, Rose Spoons would come up and her hope and her joy would come back. Even if my body still wasn't willing to, to walk around. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I, th I feel like there was a certain freedom that came just with this language. When we broke through to having this language of this gives me spoons, this takes my spoons. Don't you think? Yeah, that absolutely. It, yeah, it was like this new um, way of being able to explain something that I don't think our culture, mainstream culture, really has language for. Yep. So the language, I love a rhyme. So here it is. Here it is in four <laughs> uh -oh. words. Spoon drain, spoon gain. Hello. Hello. That's why they pay me the big bucks. So yeah, if you, we can just be going along and go, oh, wow, that just took all my spoons. It happened as we were starting this podcast. We were sitting down and mm -hmm. a text came in to one of us. I shan't say whom. <laughs> and suddenly it was like, oh, my God, I'm not sure I can do anything because I have no spoons. Yeah. And because we were talking about this topic, we were like, but wait, you have just been connected with a person who's draining your spoons, but how can you gain them back? Podcast. Podcast. I have an idea. I remember when my oldest child was tiny, they used to say in the middle of like, we'd be doing something boring and they would say, I have an idea. <laughs> and I would say, what? And they would say, a birthday party. <laughs> and so we would have a birthday party like every single day. I love that so and much. I, I always think about that because I'm lying there going, no spoons and I have so much work to do. And how do I explain to this and that person that I can't go live with them in Europe for a week and help solve their problems? And <laughs> then I think, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> a spoon party. Oh. What can I get around me that, where, that gives me spoons? And then we can find it. I've always been weird. <laughs> when I write and speak professionally, I have to tone it down, especially the part where I believe the universe loves us and is on our side. A few years ago, I decided to just show up online and say what I really think. This became The Gathering Pod, a series of discussions about how to thrive in a difficult world. So if you need hope, inspiration, or a chance to listen to someone much weirder than you could ever be, Come join me on The Gathering Pot. Okay, so, Marty, here we are. We are looking at this whole new taxonomy. Oh, my God. Science will never be the same. I know, right? So, I want to understand how this works, what the, what the spoon drainers and the spoon gainers are. Well, you know how we talk about how science is real and science is coming to our senses? Mm -hmm. You look at the empirical data. Well, it's it's empirical, but it's also subjective. <sighs> Guys, if you aren't massive nerds, please still bear with us because this is actually quite fun, despite what it may sound like. <laughs> it is subjective, but you can feel empirically 
when you set out to do something or even think about it or when someone comes into the room, you can feel your spoons either being drained or gained, right? So the first thing you do is some data gathering observation. You look at the things and I would start with things that drain your spoons because people are fighting to stay current and energetic with things that are eating their spoons like some sort of horrific metal monster. Oh gosh. Yeah. So to know what drains your spoons is the first step. So what drains your spoons? Well, it's ironic that a a birthday party or a spoon party (laughs) with my oldest child would give me spoons because parties in general, the kind of party where you're supposed to drink things out of the red plastic cups with loud music and only Americans do that red plastic cup thing. I want to die when I end up in one of those parties. I literally, I literally hide underneath things. And once I hid underneath something at a massive party and I ran into an author I very much respected who's a Zen monk and we were both hiding under a table (laughs) because (laughs) parties drained all our spoons and we couldn't do it. I just have this really strange image come into my head, which is like a jumble of different cultural ideas. Like, so I have this idea of you at a party and it drains your spoons and it and I was trying to find the image for that. And it was like that thing where the servant steals the silverware and then they're trying to sneak out with the silverware. And then they are all the, like everything just kind of falls off their body down on the floor. And that's how I picture you at the, that party under the table with that Zen monk probably kissing. You know why that's so apropos? Because it's like the height of like um, colonial class <laughs> privilege. Oh, I am the person running from the house with the spoons and I'm the person catching the person running from the house with the spoons. <laughs> no We're wonder you're so parts. bewildered. Yeah, no wonder we're so bewildered. So, all right, I gave you one of mine. Now you give me one of yours. Hello. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> just sounded dirty. Um, okay, so I tell you what absolutely is guaranteed to drain my spoons is doing scheduling stuff like my calendar, your calendar. Let's find a time. Ne- what about next Tuesday at two thirty? No, I could do it at two fifteen, but then I'd have to have a hard stop. It. Oh, I'm <laughs> okay. A large riding mower just went past us <laughs> in a like. Okay. But in a comedy the- sketch. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I actually just hearing you talk about scheduling took all so many spoons from me that I literally had to like grasp for the slightest. I know we're doing spoon gains later, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this. Um, gifts with tentacles drain my spoons. Explain. You know when somebody gives you a gift because they're just overflowing with generosity and they see something that's perfect for you and they want you to have it? It's lovely. Lovely feeling. So many spoons. Maybe I actually got a gift from this unbelievably wonderful gentleman who heard me. I guess I wrote a a thing about spoons and he sent me these beautiful Victorian spoons, which I have in my office. I think his name was Rupert. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for that. Or was it Michael? I think it was Rupert. Oh, God. If I'm wrong, my spoons will be gone for it. Like literally. And You know who you are. They're beautiful. You know who you are. I love them. So, yeah, but no tentacles on no. that gift. But when someone gives something to you and says, and the card says, I know we'll be using this together soon. And inside it is like a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> no, people send you weird gifts when you write self-help. <laughs> no, and it will be some bizarre random thing that I said while I was giving a speech and probably my spoons were off that day and I said something like 
boy, if there's one thing I like, it's lying around in a bikini. And they're like, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Next step, together on a beach. It's so funny because, like, she's give, make it, making up an example and I am bursting with real life examples that I want to give, but I can't because any one of them would be so identifiable. And that just in case that person was listening, if you've ever given Martha a gift and you're listening, that's not the gifts that we're talking about for sure. Oh, no. You're amazing. You're awesome. No tentacles on your presence. Yeah. Yeah. But when I get a present, I get enough tentacle presents that when I see a present come in, my spoons drop to the floor and presents are supposed to make your spoons go up. Yeah. But that's how much the cultural um, obligation because they're being used as a an emblem of cultural manipulation. Now you have to come back with something nice because I gave you a present. You know what drains my spoons? Well, what? you actually do know this. Flat packs, putting together furniture. Ooh! Flat packs. Is that what they call them in Australia? Yeah, like when you get from Ikea or whatever and, and you get a, yeah, a flat pack. Unassembled furniture. Yes. That you have to assemble. Oh, my God. Here we go. Oh, that gives me so many spoons. Oh. I love assembling those weird furniture puzzles. And I hate it so much that I literally, for the longest time, couldn't believe that Marty didn't hate it. Like, so we got into this weird thing before we had spoon language. Mm-hmm. We had this weird sort of loss of communication where a flat pack of something like a bookcase would arrive. And for me, like gathering together with loved ones and merrily putting together a bookcase is like the <laughs> ultimate spoon heaven. And for Ro, it was like being stabbed with her one remaining spoon. Oh, yeah. So it would come, the package would come and she'd say, oh, just leave it there. We'll do it later. And I'd be like, Oh, you're right. I have to eat my vegetables before I have dessert. I'll go do things that drain me of spoons. <laughs> but we'd never get to the point where Ro was like, damn it, let's just put together that furniture. I was trying to protect her from it. <laughs> so I, this actually is true. I was getting up at night and sneaking into the other room to open flat packs of bookcases <laughs> and put them together because it gave me such joy that I would rather do that than sleep. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's just impossible for me to comprehend. I, I just remembered, um, so around that time, Stephen Mitchell, our friend, had, had said this brilliant thing to Marty about first you, remember this? First, you pull the rug oh, out. Oh, yeah. From... He was a, he's a gorgeous writer. And um, I mean, his writing is gorgeous as well as his person. But he was also a Zen monk. And one of the things he says is the process of enlightenment goes like this. First, you pull the rug out from under your feet. Then you pull the floor out from under the rug. And then you pull the ground out from under the floor. Now you're getting somewhere. And our friend Liz wrote us an email where she quoted that and said, and then there's Marty in the void putting together furniture in the middle of the night. (laughs) It's a thing I do. And I don't even miss the sleep. I'm like so full of spoons. Guess what I'm going to get now? A thousand gifts of furniture. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to send you flat back. Put together that, Martha Beck. All right, let's go to what gives us spoons (sighs) because I just don't think... I just don't think I can talk about putting together furniture anymore. I'm just going to collapse in a heap. And I already feel spoony because of just thinking about bookshelves. So I'll tell you something, Marty. What? I love parties. I love them. They give me spoons. A good party is like a spiritual experience. I do not understand that. But do not have plastic cups. That's not, no, that's not okay. We don't do that in my country. You know, actually, things with fine crystal are even more frightening to me. So, yeah, you're not, you're not winning me over here. 
there's no fine crystal. We just don't add to landfill when we enjoy each other. So they give you spoons. So, okay, I'll be putting together furniture. You go off to a party and condemn them for their plastic cups. Beautiful. So that gives you spoons. Um, green things, green plants give me spoons. And there's tons of research on this being literally true, which I will not bore you with. But they just being around the trees or even a potted plant will lift my spoons a little. I think that, you know, I don't even think it's that mysterious. So for me, my daughter gives me spoons. Um, cooking gives me spoons. I know that's not for everyone. But if you if you love something, you know it. You know what gives you spoons. But, you know, like I can be feeling really not energised and be able to stand for four or five hours cooking a big pot of something and, and just be very joyful. Yeah, creating beautiful spaces is another one for mm. me yeah. that I really, really love. Um you want to hear a weird one for me? Yeah. Nothing drained my spoons harder than trying to learn Chinese, which I did for years mm. as a Chinese major in college. And it was very hard. It's a grind. And it did not stick in my mind. And yet, Japanese, which is similar, it's a completely different grammar. It's a different language family. Studying Japanese gave me mountains of spoons. Like I was, mm. I would literally, when I was in Japan, I would study so hard that I'd fall asleep and there, I would, there would be Japanese books all around me and I would tuck them under my body for oh. the joy of feeling them next to me. And the moment I would, woke up, I would start learning more Japanese. I was passionately in love with that. Chinese, is, you know, what's the difference? I don't know. You literally took Japanese to your bed. I did. I went to bed with Japanese. Yeah. You are a strange Back woman. in Japan. When I was a different guy. Yeah, I bet you years were. Years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what pansexual means? I'll do it with textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I'll do it with pans, uh, which apparently is a spoon thing for you. With my the, style, yeah, that's The true. cookware. <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird. Like, you can't really fight with what your nature wants to do. And, and when you find something that gives you spoons, maybe just let it let it take you let your time be spent on the things that give you that gain spoons instead of draining spoons and see maybe what your life becomes if it's spoon guided absolutely a spoon guided life what could be better really follow those spoons gang and stay Stay wild. wild we hope you're enjoying bewildered If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. For more of us, Martha's on Instagram, TheMarthaBeck. She's on Facebook, TheMarthaBeck. And she's on Twitter, MarthaBeck. Her website is MarthaBeck.com. And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan. And I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need 
a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think. And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.